so we've been talking about we have a parking problem. Well, our strategy for the parking problem this week, our plan, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about this stuff in meetings. Like, what, what do we do at the parking? You know, so here's our strategy this week. Uh, we're going to preach James 5 and see if we don't thin out the crowds a little bit. Because <laughs> this passage is, is uh, it's, as we've said before, James is coming in, he's coming in hot. And so this morning is no different. So would you turn your attention to James 5? This is God's word. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. As we begin to unpack this uh, and interpret this text, I want to explain my approach to how we're going to do that. So James is writing to, in chapter 1, verse 1, he says, I'm writing to the 12 tribes scattered, dispersed abroad. So he's speaking to Christians. He has a Christian audience and, and he says in chapter 4, the context of what we're reading, in chapter 4, verse 11, he said, he addresses brothers and sisters. And then it seems like he turns his attention here in chapter 5, verse 1, to come, and that is right, uh, come now, you rich people. So he turns his attention to, from the church to the people out there. Hey, come, you rich people. And then he goes back in chapter 5, verse 7, to say, therefore, brothers and sisters. That's next week's passage. Brothers and sisters, be patient. It seems like he's talking to two different audiences. So I think that there are three reasons that, that I believe that James, and there's probably more reasons, that I believe he's, he's speaking primarily to the people out there, to the unbelieving world without faith. And, and the first one is, is, is for that reason that he seems to be going back and forth addressing the church, brothers and sisters, to now you rich. The second is the language that he uses when he talks about weep and wail. This word wail, it's only used in the Old Testament. It's the prophets would, would talk, talk about this in the context of God's judgment on the unbelieving world. And we also see this in Revelation. If you guys were here last year, remember in Revelation, it talks about woe to you Babylon, kind of Babylon symbolic of the, of the unbelieving world and the systems of evil and oppression in the world. Uh, so, so I think that, that James is, is talking here specifically to the unbelieving world. And the third reason, if we put this in the context of the Bible and just think, what does the Bible teach about the rich and wealth? So think about this. Um, we'll, we'll, uh, there's a lot of warnings in the Bible about wealth and money and what it can do. So we'll give you a true or false question. Okay, true or false. You ready? The Bible says money is the root of 
all kinds of evil. In Timothy, it says this, right? True or false? That's false. It kind of says that, but it, actually there's a word. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. First service got it wrong. You guys, congratulations. You guys didn't fall into my trap. Um, so it's false. It's not money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. So in the Bible, just like now, we see unrighteous, wealthy people. You can think of a lot of very powerful, wealthy, rich people that are evil. They're unrighteous. They're not godly. And you could probably think of examples of people who are wealthy and they're very righteous. They love the Lord with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. And and that's how it was in the Bible. We see this. So James is not condemning these people for their wealth, but for their use of wealth. And so here's the question. Why would James, when he's writing to Christians, why would James call out the world out there when he's talking to the church right here? So think about this. Wouldn't it be better for me if I just took James 5 and like, well, guys, um, I'm going to go. James is talking to the unbelieving world. So I'm just going to post up uh, down at the Ped Mall in Iowa City and just start calling out the world. Just preaching James 5. Or maybe as people stream into Carver for the game today, I could just stand out there and preach, weep and wail, you rich people. So what, here's the, why would James do this though? Why would James do this? Well, there's a couple of things that I think poor, oppressed Christians need to remember. Number one, don't envy the rich. Don't look at them. Remember, James has warned us over and over about favoritism. He's warned us about this idea that, man, if we could just get the the wealthy celebrities here in Iowa City in this Johnson County, if we could just get the rich, powerful, influential people to get saved, then the name of Jesus will be made great here. James warns us about that kind of thinking. That's not the strategy for how the kingdom of God will advance. Let's try to win Hollywood to Jesus. The second thing is for these oppressed Christians, helpless, poor Christians, he wants them to know that God sees their suffering and God is going to bring judgment on this earth. God is going to sort it out. So your boss that's withholding your wages, that's slandering you, that's tearing you down, and in their case, leaving them destitute, homeless, hungry, he's reminding them that God sees it all. So because this doesn't apply to us, we're just gonna close in prayer, take communion, and move on because this isn't really for us, right? Of course not. Uh, so how do we interact with this text? Here's what I want for us. James, we see this throughout. His heart is for us to have real faith, the kind of faith that's alive and impacting our lives and our lifestyle. James wants us to have real faith. 
And I think what he's doing is by showing how the world with no faith interacts with money, we see a contrast of how we as believers should use wealth and money or how we should think about the, the whole idea of wealth and money. So the question becomes, so as, as, uh, as we look at the unbeliever's misuse of money, what does it teach us, the church, about the proper use of it? So if you're taking notes, it's kind of the overarching question. How does real faith shape your lifestyle? If you're serious about following Jesus, how is that going to affect your lifestyle and how you interact with money and possessions? So verse 2, he says, Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. James is calling out the unbelieving world for how they have hoarded their wealth. You have stored up treasure in the last days, he says. So the first way that the unbelieving world, people with no faith, think about money is money is security. Money is security. So if you don't have faith, that's how you look at money. We even call it this. When you retire, what do you get? Social security. Social security. You guys, this is a great, our country takes care of us in our old age. You're going to get that social security check and you'll be totally secure for the rest of your life, right? Um, some of you older folks are like, um, I hope you don't think that, <laughs> college students. It might not be there. Uh, social security, uh, not a great hope for us. But we see that, like it's money is security. That's how the unbelieving world looks at it. And he, James says, you guys are hoarding it. You're storing it up in the last days. So what's the definition of hoarding? How do you know if you're hoarding something? Well, here's the definition. A stock or store of money or valued objects, typically one that is secret or carefully guarded. Do any of you guys have, have that? A stock or store of money or valued objects that you carefully guard and maybe even keep it a secret? You don't want people knowing what you have or how much you have? Is that any of you guys? Well, I have a confession. I have a hoarding problem. And I didn't know it until about three o'clock in the afternoon yesterday. I learned about my hoarding problem. So it, here's what happened. Uh, so it's spring, the weather's getting nice, which means at the Aaron house, all the toys and everything comes, gets strewn out on the front lawn. The kids are bringing out all the skateboards. It's like, hey, weather's getting nice. As much as I've tried to discourage my kids from getting into skateboarding, because uh, that's what I did, uh, they're just, they're going for it. And so anyway, uh, Makai goes up to the attic, pulls out the skateboards where, you know, and he, and he comes down. He's like, hey, dad, I found some of your old boards. And so he comes out. We have a prop this morning. Uh, grab this. So he goes up into the attic and he comes out with one of my old skateboards. Now, 
this, this is a Gator Vision skateboard, probably from 1989. And so he's uh, like, hey, we should get some trucks and wheels, ride this thing, or just like, wow, what do we do with this? So we're, we needed some stuff at the, at the skate shop up in Cedar Rapids. So we went up there yesterday and, and we're like, hey, let's, let's uh, throw in the, the old decks and skateboards and just see what, you know, see what they, they think of them, see if they can find trucks because the, yeah, the holes aligned differently uh, back in the day. And so we, we take this in with a few of my other old decks. We walk in and once the guy catches eyes with us and our decks, we walk up to the front, he's like, his eyes get big and he's like, no way, I will give you, and he throws out an amount for, the, for that board. I want that skateboard deck. And he gets on eBay or whatever and he starts looking these things up and one of them was like into the thousands of dollars. You guys this was a piece of trash in my attic, just a piece of nostalgia. And he's looking at my kids, he's like, well, there's your college fund, guys. And all of a sudden, this little piece of wood from 1989 went from being a piece of trash to being a treasure. And so I got home and Letha and I went on a little walk and I told her about our newfound treasure in our attic, to which she said, I was like, what should we do? She's like, sell it. Sell all of them. Come out. And I was like, sell my precious? I'm just going to sell it? Like, no. This is my, like, we're not selling this. And think about it. If we're like, Around in 30 years, think about how much money these things are going to be worth. I'm not selling these things. I'm not giving them to my kids. This is mine. This is mine. So, I bet for you it's not a skateboard deck. As soon as somebody put a money value on this, it wasn't wood, it was gold. What about you? What do you have stored away? What is your precious that you don't want anyone to know about? What are you guarding? Bank accounts, IRAs, securities, retirement accounts, properties, collectibles, And of course, you can justify it. You can justify anything. Like, I earned this. Uh, no, you didn't. You got it for Christmas. Yeah, but anyway, it's still mine. It was given to me. To me. They gave it to me, not you. So it's mine. And no one can tell me what to do with this. And why do we do this? Why do we do this? Because... We don't have faith because it's our security and we can't see God and sometimes we wonder if he's really going to take care of us. So what does James say, verse 3? Your gold and silver 
are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Here's what James is saying to us. When when we stand in judgment, if our money and wealth has been our security and our hope and our God, all of our gold and money and mansions and seashells and card collections and skateboards and properties will be put on the witness stand against us. And this piece of wood might testify to a lifestyle of selfish indulgence. And this piece of wood is just going to be fuel to the fire of judgment against me if this has been my hope. That's what James is saying. And so... We've seen that no faith is security, so what's real faith? Real faith, we don't see this as security. We see this as a stewardship. Money is a stewardship. If you are a Christian, and here's what stewardship means. You are a steward, which means somebody gave you something. God gave you something. How will you use it? How will you use what God has given you? God, not money, is my security. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need, Psalm 23. So what does God want you to do with your money? How does he want you to use it? I don't know. I can't answer that question because you are the steward of your money. And you're a Christian. You love Jesus. And so... One thing is, we don't expect you to feel guilty about it. Like if you have been given a lot, don't feel guilty about it. Enjoy it. That's 1 Timothy 6. Remind wealthy people to be generous, not to put their hope in wealth, to remember that God created everything for our enjoyment. You should enjoy what you have. Enjoy the game, enjoy the vacation, enjoy all of that. But God's heart for you is not to hoard it but to share it. If the blessing has come to you, let it go through you. Let it go through you. That's how real faith looks at money. It's a gift to be stewarded. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying there's something very important that your bank account, your credit card statement says about the condition of your soul. What does my home and my money and my cars and my everything that I have and own, what does it say about what I'm living for? That's what Jesus teaches us. Was my faith real or was it a sham? I don't know. Let's look at his bank account. Um, I just have to say this as an elder team, as a leadership team, I want you to know that our heart for you And our heart for, our goal is not to make budget. It's not to make our budget. Uh, We, every year we come up with a budget based on where, what we need and where things are going. 
And sometimes we're at 120% and other times we're at 80%. Our goal is not to be at 100% of our budget. We just made up that number. Our goal, we could make budget and still be filled with a bunch of greedy people. Or we could not make our budget and have a group of people that are just sacrificially living for the kingdom. So the goal is not to make budget. The goal is not to motivate you to give because Veritas has a need. Come on, guys, can't you just give a little more? I mean, we'd like to build on and we'd like to grow the church. No. We want your motivation to be, I love Jesus and he is Lord of my life. And I believe Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And giving is an overflow. You guys, if we get that right, trust and obey Jesus, like our budget's gonna be fine. So, but that's, that's our heart. For us, for you, to be a steward, to see your money and possessions as a gift from the Lord to steward. So should we take a quick vote? I'm just kind of interested. Um, just a quick vote, public poll here. Uh, what, what should I do with the skateboard? If you think I should like hang on to it, raise your hand. Like just keep it, just come on. Matthew, I, I love that. Uh, you're for me. Uh, how many of you think just sell it? Go Team Letha, like, okay. I, babe, I think you will put it up. We'll see. <laughs> don't do that with your money and stuff. Like don't ever put it up for vote. Because uh, you'll just feel worse about what you're going to do anyway. So, all right. Verse four. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. Jesus is, James here, uh, Jesus through James, is calling out the socioeconomic oppression in his in his culture, the, in their world, the landowners were getting rich. They were not paying the people that were working their land. And in the Old Testament, it gave clear instructions. You are to pay your workers every evening before they leave. You pay them each day because they need enough to get through the next day. They need daily bread, so pay them each day. But these workers were holding it back. And the more they held it back, these workers became more and more in debt to the landowners, to the point where they left them homeless, destitute, maybe even starving. And it says that the outcry of the harvesters, this word outcry, it's like wild screams have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. That's translated the Lord of armies. James is saying to these, these Christians, hey guys, remember, God is a God of a big army and he's gonna step in and deal with this. God sees it. So no faith people think, here's how no faith people think. It's just business. It's just business. They probably had good reasons for not paying these workers. Well, you know, inflation's up, prices are up. And I keep their wage down here. Sometimes I pay them, sometimes I don't. But hey, I got, a, I got a business to run here. If someone says to you, hey, this isn't personal, it's just business, you're about to get fired, okay? 
and it happens all the time. We can justify anything. And if you're not careful, if you're just an American without Jesus, you might go through your life like it's a game of Monopoly. And I'm working my way around and I'm trying to acquire properties and I'm trying to compound interest, work the system, you know, work Wall Street, whatever I'm doing. And I can justify anything of just, hey, I'm just moving around the board, acquiring more and more wealth. That's the game. That's the American dream. And you might live that way. It's just business. And it's fine if you're playing a game of Monopoly. Like you just got a great deal on all the railroads or something. You'll probably lose the game if you got all the railroads because someone else is like, they're getting the blue properties, park plays, boardwalk. And they're just like, hey, it's just business. Okay, that's fun if it's Monopoly. But if you're a Christian, it's never just business. Real faith people, it's always about people. There are people that live in those apartments on Baltic Avenue. There are people that live on North Carolina Avenue. It's never just business. It's always about actual people. And some of you are in positions of leadership or ownership. You have businesses. You have a position of leadership, maybe at the university or in a work environment. You're a, maybe a, a doctor or a business owner or a landlord, entrepreneur, property owner. What would generosity look like if you were to look at all the people around you, not as, as pawns to kind of move around and get what you want, and it's not personal, it's just business. What if you saw it as, no, it's deeply personal. These are people I love. Maybe you're on the other side of that. Maybe you're like James's audience and you're getting cheated, defrauded by a boss. Do you trust that the Lord of armies, he sees it. And that frees you because you don't need to take matters into your own hands. The Lord sees it. Let's look at the next verse five. It says, you have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You've indulged yourselves. You've, you've lived for gratification and pleasure, James is saying. So, no faith is all about getting what I want. People without Jesus, it's all about just getting. If I want it, I'm going to get it. If I can afford it, I'm going to buy it. And maybe even if I can't afford it, I'm still going to buy it. But real faith, people, it's not getting what I want. It's wanting what I already have. That's contentment. That's how real faith shapes your lifestyle. As Paul says in Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment, what does that mean? I'm good. I don't need more. I don't need better. I don't need bigger. I don't need nicer. I'm just good with what I got. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. So here's my counsel to you, rich Americans, Deny your desire for more. Don't live as well as you're capable of. If you're capable of this, live down here. 
And as you make more and more money, don't let your lifestyle just track that up and up and up. Let that gap between what you make, how you're living, and how you're capable of living, let that gap just grow more and more and more. We have to fight. If you don't have Jesus, you might go through your life thinking it's all about just getting more. Jesus warns us over and over about this. Next verse, at the, uh, verse five, the second part, he says, you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. You've fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You, he's saying, you've forgotten that judgment is coming and you've lived like there is no God and there is no judgment and it was all about you. I love how the message translation, Eugene Peterson translates this. You've looted the earth and lived it up, but all you'll have to show for it is a fatter than usual corpse. You just overate, overdrank, overindulged. And the last point here is that no faith thinking is YOLO, you only live once. You only live once. Party it up. It's a party in the USA. We've only got one life. And I was, I was in the library uh, at, at, in college, and I remember I etched, someone etched into the wall uh, with like a knife or something. It was a quote. It said, you can always retake a class, but you can never relive a party. Isn't that the word? Isn't that the logic of a, like, I just, how many people are like, oh, totally. <laughs> That's right. Like, you only live once. Dude, you can always retake the class but you can never relive the party. We go through our whole lives like that. Like just, you only live once and real faith people say what? You only live once here. Yep. As the missionary said, one life will soon pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. We will live one life here. And then we will die and we will live forever. Like one person said, you know, life is but a brief moment in history lodged between two vast eternities. What are you going to do with your moment? What are you going to do with your one life that will soon pass? That's what James wants us to be thinking about. So I'm going to tell a story about a dear brother in Zambia. And I have to preface this story by telling you that I need Zambia way more than Zambia needs me. And we need Zambia. And here's what I realize when I go to Zambia. And I'm so thankful that Jeff has invited me into his, his love for these people and this nation. But, but I realize this, like most of you in this room will never set your feet on Zambian soil. And and I, and I don't ever want you to feel like when I talk about Zambia or we talk about Zambia, we're, you're about to get a guilt trip. Like, oh, okay, here we go. Another guilt trip from, from Africa. No, no, no. Um, I see part of my job when I go over there is to come back with stories to encourage you. 
by our brother, to the encouragement that I've found from our brothers and sisters in Zambia. I want to bring that encouragement back to you. And this is one example of this. So this is not a feel guilty that you're a rich American. This is a story to encourage you to be more like our brothers. And, and this is Navis, Reverend Navis Kalunga. He's 70 years old and he's one of Jeff's best friends. And Reverend Kalunga has planted hundreds and hundreds of churches. Uh, we think maybe there's over 300 churches that, that he's, he's planted there in, in Zambia. And he wrote Jeff this week. Listen to what he said to Jeff. By the way, he has diabetes. So that's the context of, of this. He said, concerning my health, by the grace of the Lord, we're trying to control it by eating required foods and other health logistics. Today, in fasting, it was 5.6, and at random, it was 10.6. We don't have any idea what those numbers mean, but not great, apparently. He says, I don't have any blood pressure, which is also a problem. I don't have any blood pressure. My heart beats for the lost people. Continue praying for me. I'm confident that soon or later, it shall be over in the name of Jesus. I don't want us to pity Navis Kalunga because oh, if he was in America, he would live much longer. I want us to envy Navis because he has real faith. And I don't know about you, but I want that faith that says with a diagnosis and no, of no blood pressure, which is terrible, to say soon or later, it shall be over in the name of Jesus. With a smile, it shall be over. So, church, Veritas, what does your bank account or lifestyle say about who you're living for? That's the question. And you're probably not going to answer it right now. It's going to take a week at least. It's going to take a connection group. It's going to take some conversations. It's going to take some prayer. It's going to take some repentance, which is why we're going to take communion and uh, this communion, uh, there's tables all around the room, and this is a great way to land that Jesus, remember, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, and he gave his life as a sacrifice. This, the juice represents the blood of Christ. The, the bread is the body of Christ. And I just want you to take a minute as we pray, and the worship team's gonna come up and, and lead us in worship, and I think we need to take a little bit of time before we come up to the table this morning to just ask the Lord to examine our hearts. Just invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you. So would you pray with me? So what is, what is the Lord want to say to you this morning.
Jesus, with hands open, I just invite you to come and speak, Lord. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. God, I don't know if James 5 has ever been preached to a more prosperous people than us. We invite you to come examine Veritas Church. Walk among the lampstands of your church, like in Revelation. Come, come inside, come into my heart and speak, Lord. How do you want me to, whether it's a skateboard decks, deck or a property or income or whatever, Lord, this is yours, Lord. We invite you to come. Just take some time to, to just pray. And here in a minute, when you're ready, just let's uh, invite you to come to the table.